live. That's it. It's all on you now. When you when you say the word live, are you imagining that you're Jim Carrey in Liar Liar? Yes. But that's true of almost everything I do. Really? Yeah. And so how does modern Jim Carrey fit into your oeuvre? When I'm making dinner. Uh-huh. And at the end of the, like, partway through cooking, they'll be like, what is this? I'll be like, it's a goose. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually true and actually a blooper from that movie. <laughs> it's a it's a blooper from Liar Liar. When, yeah. when he's, yeah, I remember that. I remember when he like crumbles up a piece of paper. Yeah, I do. It's a goose. <laughs> and the whole set just like falls apart, like laughing. Yeah, I do that honestly a lot. I wonder if Jim Carrey like is prohibited from having caffeine or like any, st- like I wonder. Yeah, because he basically is is cocaine as a person. Is he still though? I don't know if he still is. I mean, it's sort of he still very much seems incredibly elastic. I mean, for God's sakes, he plays an antagonist in a fucking Sonic movie now. That's true. Like with a have person with it? an absurd mustache. No, I, I have not seen Sonic. Are you kidding me? I'm a Crash Bandicoot fan. Forbes. Is there rivalry among orange critters on video games no 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 it's 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 platformer mascots okay it's it's the hierarchy is mario why what did i just walk into (laughs) sorry go ahead no no yeah i'm just saying it's mario crash bandicoot banjo and kazooie then croc then gex and then uh and then whatever you mentioned sonic i was a sonic guy as a kid Sonic on the Game Gear was my jam. You know why I didn't like Sonic? I'm going to make this about disability. Not even a little bit is this about disability. I will do it! There's no... Okay. It is my job! (laughs) Sonic. Sonic the fucking Hedgehog. The whole point of that game, Tony, is speed. Okay. And you're saying disabled people are slow? No. I'm saying I'm slow with my hand fine motor skills. Okay. I'm not. I'm not slow on the uptake. I'm not slow in the wit department, unless <laughs> unless you're on a particular tear. <laughs> okay, you're really proving yourself here. <laughs> yeah, I can't make a joke. Shit. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you know, Sonic is kind of horseshit because the whole point about platformers is like precision and stuff, right? And then when you're a Sonic, you're just rushing through the level. Like it must make level designers really frustrated because they make all these beautiful, you know, like roller coaster loops or whatever with rings and uh, jumpy platforms and cool whatever Sonic is. It's like a weird mix of postmodern spacecraft jet things and being out in the middle of nature. Okay. Oh, just whatever. Sonic sucks. Fuck Sonic. That's aggressive. Yeah, I know. I just like that that franchise, the fact that Sonic is the thing that's getting people to go to the theaters just feels so silly to me. I think it's maybe fun for kids. I, I guess it's fun for kids, but it's I don't think it's particularly well written or anything. You know, I, I would say even like Shrek had uh, more de- density of ideas and like. Oh, a, I would agree. But yeah. I think that's so true of so many movies right now. Like, it's just 
reboot after reboot or remake after remake or take this and turn it into another version of it. Jim Carrey is a fuck is fucking a villain in Sonic for Christ's sake. It's just so sad. Why is that sad? Sad for Jim Carrey or sad for Sonic? I I mean it's it's a it's a good thing for Sonic because really that's all it has going for it. But Jim Carrey is a interesting uh he's it's pretty awesome that he's still relevant and he he does Really good work. That the show kidding on on Showtime is amazing. Yeah, but I mean, like, maybe that's what he wanted to do. I'm sure he, he wasn't forced to do it. Nobody wants to do Sonic. He needed the money or something. You think he needed the money? Yeah. Well, he didn't I need mean, the I, money. His ego needed the money. Nah, he didn't need the money. He probably was just like, "Hey, this will be a fun little thing to do." Fucking Sonic. Like I can, I can appreciate if you're someone like Jim Carrey who has such an elastic range you're good at doing it's a goose and then you're also good at doing <laughs> I really wanted you to spit I was really trying I feel like I was close <laughs> you actually look so disappointed I was continue your fucking story Tony I wanted to have to buy you a new microphone because of water damage <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I could appreciate that he would, because it's exhausting sometimes to pour yourself into projects like that, where it takes you having to, like, really look inwardly, and sometimes you just want to have a good time and let loose and be silly and appeal to the younger generation. And get paid for, like, $40 million to be a fucking antagonist in a shitty video game movie? Yeah, I'm sure that doesn't hurt. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. What am I saying? I'd probably do it if I was him. If someone said, I'll give you $40 million to put on a fake mustache and say a few lines to appeal to kids and get them inspired or maybe just get them distracted, why not? I don't think every media project has to be something that makes you like, think deeply and reflect on yourself. And I agree. Kidding was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I'd much rather watch that than Sonic, but I think there's still value to just going to a movie theater with your kids, having some popcorn, and watching Jim Carrey. <sighs> so, uh, <laughs> how are you, Tony? Um, I honestly doesn't feel like much has happened since I talked to you. The thing is, I feel like I talk to you all the time. I do not feel that way. I feel like I talked to you on the podcast, and then when we play video games, we play video games. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we sort of have a couple of different modes, right? We're either watching something together, which yeah. is a fairly antisocial activity. I wouldn't say it's antisocial. I mean, I would love to talk, but I don't think that you like to talk during... I don't think you like to... <laughs> I definitely thought it was the other way around. So many times... I start talking, you'll be like, oh, sorry, can you rewind? <laughs> well, I, I mean, that was when we were, like, read, thinking that we could record uh, voiceovers for movies. Oh, right. Yeah. And so I, I felt I needed to focus more because I needed to be on point. But then, ironically, I couldn't focus because you're trying to banter with me. And so this whole time, you'd actually prefer to talk? 
I wouldn't mind. Well, I mean, this week we watched a terrible, terrible, terrible movie, and I yeah. knew it would be terrible. I wasn't even near my microphone. At one point, I was in the living room. I know. I <laughs> I thought I felt you like backing away metaphysically from the whole situation. Yeah, there was one point where I was like distracting myself with some project in the living room, just listening to the movie. It was like you were finally hanging out with your cat, Jack, for once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, she doesn't hang out with me. Jack probably loves you, and you just don't know how to show affection to cats. That is true. But I also can't, like, pet him. Well, yeah, okay, I mean, that's true. Although I don't think you really have to, like... I actually brought him to the vet today, and by yeah. that I mean the vet came to me. Uh-huh, and how did that go? Well, the vet was like... How's his skin? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't touch him. Yeah, like I've never touched him. <laughs> he has skin. <laughs> and I mean, the vet was super understanding. He really, I feel like I'm not his only disabled client because he definitely was very conscious of what he's saying and like maybe there will be financial implications. Or maybe physical logistics implications. Like if I had to take him in to get his teeth. To, did you know there's cat dentists? I I imagine there's cat everything. People love their cats. You think there's cat chiropractors? Yes, I do. Do you think there's cat accountants? <laughs> yes, I do. Somebody has to count the... Uh... <laughs> The what? <laughs> the, somebody has to count the catnip. I don't know. <laughs> like, what is catnip? <laughs> it's three. <laughs> it's three. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be cat everything, dude. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, hold on. So how old is this guy? I didn't ask. <laughs> how old did he look? He asked me how old Jack was, and I didn't think to reciprocate the question. <laughs> <laughs> how much does he weigh? About 10 pounds, and you? And you. <laughs> <laughs> and you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, I don't know, maybe like late 30s? Like, like, okay, so sort of proximal to you. Yeah, maybe a little older than me. I'm not good at judging. I feel like the older I get, the less difference of age matters. So when I was a kid, right, and I think this is probably true for everyone, but like when you're a kid, everyone feels so old. They really do, yeah. And then when you're an adult, even in like relationships, five years, eight years, ten years, it doesn't matter. Yeah. When you're when you're a child, it's like Clint Eastwood and uh, Jim Carrey are the same age. Yeah. And also, if, like, if you're in first year of high school, like grade nine, and you're yeah. dating someone in grade 10, yeah, they have so much more life experience than you. Yeah, they're like a cradle robber. Yeah. For sure. And then now, if, if years of difference means nothing. Yeah, I would agree with that. So anyway, I didn't ask how many grades ahead of me my veterinarian was all all that all that was to say is that I find that like 
like millennials and Gen Xers are generally like pretty good about navigating disability. Or uh, I see what you're saying. Especially, especially like young professionals. Yeah. Like, you know, I have a young like investment advisor and a young dentist yeah. and they're, they're awesome. Like they make no assumptions. They're totally yeah easy to talk to very approachable like they understand the headspace of their clientele <clears throat> and i'm an, i'm an especially i mean we've been over that over and over and over but i i don't do well <laughs> at the dentist and so it's yeah. like i really appreciate it cuz that's one sort of context where dis- my disability rears its ugly head in a, in a couple of ways your disability is not ugly oh thanks you, you mean it's handsome I like your disability's head. <laughs> Thanks, dude. You're welcome. <laughs> but anyway, so um, uh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you should end every thought with "Yeah, that's cool." <laughs> um, no, I agree. Uh, I think also this is the first time I've used this particular vet. Usually, I've leveraged my friend's goodwill to bring my cat Jack to the vet. Uh huh. Uh, but this time I, I honestly just didn't have the time because of work and stuff. So I was like, I could probably hire him to come here. And I could, and he did. And it was really convenient, but also I think easier for Jack too, because it's less stressful to, than like forcing him into the cage, carrying him down some road. Like he never leaves the apartment otherwise. And then into this office of foreign smells and stuff anyway like obviously less stressful for jack but... i always feel bad for cats when they have to be caged in commuted places yeah they, they're really like way too proud of animals for that to occur to them yeah exactly even just holding him down to get his nails cut uh-huh. was a huge chore until the groomer that he has sort of built a bond with him and now he's a little bit more at ease but it, like initially she'd have to like sweep i'd have to close certain doors so he wouldn't hide under the bed or else she'd have to like get him out from under the bed with a broom <laughs> wow that's so much work yeah also like poor jack just reaching out like what are you trying to do to me yeah willa used to do that a lot too she didn't like people poking and prodding no um, it would be funny if that vet like did house calls in a sports car and his business name was like Vets and Corvettes. <laughs> you know, um, I've recently learned that there is an entire lane of professionals that make an entire living and a very good living off naming things. Like you mean people in marketing? Yeah, basically, yeah, but strictly coming up with names. And I think maybe this is where you could divert some of this energy. And I'm only saying this selfishly to divert it away from myself. But I do think you'd be good at it. And like maybe you'd enjoy it. I don't think you'd think I'd be good at it. I, I thought do. you were going to say, I thought the punchline was going to be, and they definitely wouldn't hire you. I thought that's <laughs> I thought that's what you're going to say. because I've used those services in the past and they have to give, well, they don't have to, but they often give you dozens and dozens and dozens of games. So some of them are as good as Vets and Corvettes. 
<laughs> we were talking recently about potentially changing our podcast name, or we've been talking about it for months and months. Yeah, maybe we should pitch it to the listeners. We should, yeah. I started throwing some stupid alternatives to you, hoping that you would understand. Wait, 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 these were real? <laughs> I thought you were just in a funny, creative spirit and throwing <laughs> stuff out at me to see if I'd laugh. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was. Okay. Do you, re- do you remember what I said? I remember sedentary cinema. Yep, which you didn't like. Because you don't like the implication that all wheelies don't move. Correct. Yep. Uh, I like the alliteration, though. Thanks. I did, too. What made you send me those those names? I just, just wordplay started popping into my head. And I was wondering if I could make you laugh. <laughs> That's literally it. But the problem is there aren't that many like fun titles I can think of that relate both film and movies that don't have wheel in the title and i'm really tired of wheel puns wheel breakers well no that's different because i mean i mean in terms of relating like wheels and film reels right i'm tired of that well ultimately like we don't have to change anything we really don't and i think part of it is just at least on my side internalized ableism or whatever I say, or whatever, because I had an interesting conversation earlier today about whether or not disabled people can be able to say it really is on my mind right now. But really, we don't have to change anything. I've just always been averse to the word cripple, and I've not really been able to let that go. I thought maybe calling this podcast cripple threat would like help take the power back from the word or whatever. The problem is, is that that phrase makes able-bodied people laugh who hear it for the first time, and it makes disabled people roll their eyes. Cripple? Or cripple threat? Cripple threat, yeah. Because I do feel like a disabled person would just be like, oh, sure, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I don't know why the able-bodied people are laughing, but part of me thinks that they're laughing because it's like, it's like shock jock. Yeah, but I mean, uh, whatever. Yeah, it ultimately doesn't really matter, I guess. I don't know. I do like when I tell someone that it's called a cripple threat and they go giggle or whatever and they go, oh, that's great. That's always fun. Yeah. Um. So I would still want a title that has that. A really dumb phrase just popped into my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Theatrical catheters. I know. First of all, neither one of us use catheters. Yeah, well, if we were on the road when we recorded, maybe. Catheters? (laughs) You wouldn't just use a urinal? Uh, True. Well, Catheters like the last resort. I suppose, yeah. I'd rather use cripple. (laughs) I lowered the bar. I mean, I've used them in the past, and it makes me wince just thinking about it. Yeah. Shout out to all the people out there who have these categories. I'm sure you've gotten used to it, and it's probably fine, but it feels like there's a better word. I was just because I I realized that the word theater is contained within catheter. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It is fun wordplay. And it brings me back to my sentiment that you should be a professional neighbor. You just get to think of these all day. (laughs) Imagine this is your job. (laughs) 
No, that's why I'm laughing at the suggestion. Remember when I said that the disabled person of Yelp should be called help and you didn't think it was funny? You hated it. I thought it was lazy. (laughs) Why? Because it was only one syllable? That's the genius. No, because you only changed one letter. (laughs) Who says that doing work is a reflection of value? (laughs) I can't argue with that. How are you? I'm pretty good, I suppose. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I keep I keep thinking about two uh, roads diverged in a wood. Is this a Robert Frost poem? No. I have one foot uh, in one road and the other foot is like across the way on the other road. And I'm hard. I can't focus on... I can't focus on the road that I'm on because I'm thinking about the road that I want to be on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? And you realize the more steps you take on the road you're on, the further you'll be from the fork in the road. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm just like, I've I've been finding myself lately because it's like, because eventually the snow will go away. I'm like mm-hmm. getting all hopeful and excited for like new beginnings. And I just sort of hope that one that one occurs. But I need some luck. I need I need some good fortune. Do you need luck? I do need luck. Yeah, because uh, because an uh, an available apartment with attendant care services nearby uh, won't won't I can't get that without luck. Yeah, you don't think you're in a position where you could get an accessible apartment without attendant care services and then go on direct funding. I think I would be fucked on direct funding unless I had, unless I could do it with you or unless I had a plan and I really thought about it for a good six months. What would doing it with me do? Because your brain, you're so much better at planning life than I am. That's not true. It's, it's so true. It's just, it's just survival instinct. You're You're in a position where, like, if you don't plan to have someone get you up tomorrow, you will be okay. I guess, but if you if you cut that safety net, you're a good thinker. You'll be able to figure that out. You can problem solve. I don't know, man. I have like I have CP brain fog, and I can, some part of it is probably learned helplessness. But there are just like certain kinds of planning that I am that my brain does is not good at. Like there were periods when I lived by myself in residence when I neglected to use attendant care and and I was borderline feral. But isn't being self-aware of that a good first step to knowing that you, if you're ever feeling feral, you just yeah. call for some help? Well, but then it's like, it's like if you ever saw me after a period of feral existence during exam time at Carleton, when I would like, when I would emerge from the, from the filth of my res room and go and <laughs> seek out the the barber that that was uh, off of Oliver's remember they had an on-campus barber and I'd get a haircut and I and I'd come back to civilization and literally everyone would look at me like I was a new man like I I was like a a, pr- a pre-industrialized society like <laughs> what the hell am I trying to say when I when I live by myself without much of a structure around my care plan I will let my needs fall through the cracks. So you think if we lived together, I would manage my attendant care and yours? 
No, I do not think that. But I do think that just like you helped me produce this podcast, I do think that 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 I get your kind of uh, motivation and structure via osmosis. Like it's kind of contagious. And then if that would sort of help me build a mental model for how to look after myself. So I would not rely on you, but I would definitely feel safer like tackling the problem with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I definitely understand the safety thing. If I was to go on Durant Funny, I also would feel safer with you knowing that there's at least like a buddy system kind of thing. Yeah, like we wouldn't let each other get fucked over. Yeah, and I guess also just logistically it would be helpful to have a little bit more buying power in a way where like if if they had to help me and you, we could lump our times together and make yeah. it a more reasonable amount of time for someone to get out of bed to help. Because helping me for a couple hours versus helping you for a couple hours or helping us both for a period of like four or five hours. And then if we ever had attendants who, unfortunately, I don't like that I think about this immediately, but it's true. If we ever had attendants who were slightly disrespectful of boundaries or exploitative, uh-huh. like we could like plan their murder together. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and the disposal of the body and, right. all, and all the evidence and everything else. If we had to do it, how would we do it? Here's what I think would happen. I feel yeah. like we would have to poison them. <laughs> so I would cook a nice meal <laughs> and then offer it to them. And then you would help me poison the meal. I thought you said you didn't like true crime. Whenever someone's like, I hate you for making like, a terrible joke. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, how would you kill me? <laughs> I love like, how would you do it? Would you just like roll me over and leave me so I can't breathe? Would you like poison me and have to take care of me over I don't know it's funny to think about I would just I think probably feed you hot sauce until you got over encumbered oh now you're killing me yeah I was trying to plan the murder of a third party I understand that yeah I feel a little bit uncomfortable plotting the murder of a hypothetical able-bodied attendant for the record I don't intend to murder anyone what who knows that might change I just feel like you, because you know how you have that Raspberry Pi that you've configured for home automation automation purposes? Oh, yeah, you would definitely benefit from my smart home tech abilities. Well, that's I, I'm not trying to mooch off that. Like, that's not what I want. No, to, I would I, love to. I would love to. I had a whole business doing that. I'm just saying that's probably how you would murder somebody. Oh. Yeah. You'd get, they'd be like in the apartment cleaning like or something. And then we'd have a Peloton and they'd be like cleaning the Peloton and then you'd turn it on to full blast while they were like getting no, in the crevice. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to witness it happen. I, like as much as I love the theoretical, it would have to seem like I wouldn't want some gory dismemberment to occur. Oh. No. No, that could be because you're a good person. You want you want to clean. No, death. because then they'd have to get a really good Roomba <laughs> that could like mop the floors after. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it would just it would just cost a lot. Maybe you could hire the the Corvette. Wait, what was that? Vets and Corvettes. Yeah, you could you could hire vets and Corvettes to clean clean up discreetly for you. I feel like you have a different idea of. What a veterinarian is. <laughs> <than me. laughs> hey, while you're here, can you 
Ray my cat and clean up this dead body, please. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like the great premise for like a shitty prestige TV show. I was just thinking about how funny it used to be on an episode of Barry. Right. Like, like Barry has to help a disabled guy commit a murder. Or oh, this is a wonderful idea. Yeah. And the and the murder uh the mark is an abusive attendant, we'll say. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, by the end of the episode, maybe the wheelie doesn't want the attendant to die, per se. I don't know, but of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never wished death upon even my most abusive attendants. Uh, I feel like the furthest I've ever gone is when someone's like, so, so-and-so quit. I'll be like, nice. Yeah, that's true. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Sometimes it's a huge relief when people quit. Oh, yeah. Well, because sometimes it's like, how long do I have to stick this out before I have to confront that I don't want to see them again? Yeah. So then if they make the decision to quit, I feel like I can just brush my hands off and step back. You know, those people like that you are sometimes in your life, you don't like them, but circumstances force you to interact with them cordially and sort of every time they kind of enter your personal space, your stomach kind of goes like, oh, yeah, yeah, like that. I don't like that shit. For sure. But back to you living in a new place. Uh-huh. I just don't want to leave this up to chance. Well, what else? What other option do we have? I think you're overestimating how difficult it would be to live alone. I think you'd be better at it than you think. I need community around me because if I live alone, yeah. like, I, I don't know. I have some fucking, I don't know. I don't do well living alone. I totally feel that. I've actually fantasized slash bordering on planned the idea of living in a big house with friends. Yeah. Um, I love that idea. Like For sure. I hate the TV show, but I love the idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love the concept of, of having friends. I, I get bored easily, and I I miss having roommates quite a bit. There's definitely times where I enjoy living alone, like just having that freedom and flexibility. I don't have to worry about asking my roommate to leave or leaving because my roommate wants me to leave. But overall, like I do, I like a warm body, which is what I get out of a cat. Like, but it's not the same thing. Like I said. One thing that I noticed, and I've probably talked about this before, but when I first lived on my own in, in residence, like the thing that sort of baffled me was object permanence. Like if I made a mess, and this probably it, this probably speaks more to my father's tendency to like follow me with a broom. But if I if I leave a mess when I go to bed and I and I live alone, I'll wake up and the mess will still be there, and there's no there's no life happening around you. Like the only life happening when you live alone is your own. <laughs> and there's something about living amongst other people's lives that just feels good. Well, it's also just fun to share your life with someone, right? Like to be able to share your highs and your lows and your experiences. And just, I don't know, I've always romanticized the idea of having that core group of friends that's like almost toxically close to each other. You've had that though. Right? Or you you kind of do. Yeah, but I mean, I don't live with them. Yeah, true. Yeah, like I come home at the end of a fun day 
with friends to an empty house and Jack doesn't even want to get up off the couch. Right. And so, yeah, there are days where I want that for sure. So I, I could see that side of it. The social aspect of it, I'm all for. But I still don't think that you're... So my problem is that in the absence of structure, I fall into a depression. And I don't want the only structure in my life to be uh, occupational. Are you self-disciplined enough to make yourself structured? Probably. Like, I'm self-disciplined enough to avoid my vices and to recognize destructive, like, behaviors. So I could totally, I can totally, like, set some parameters for myself and just, like, be committed to executing them. But when it comes to loneliness, like, that's one that's really hard to sort of plan your way out of. That that sounds really depressing. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. No, I get it. It's good that you have the foresight and the self-awareness. But this is from repeated episodes of being down and just yeah. like having other people sort of point out. Like my my friend Nick, <clears throat> when I was at Carlton, like he 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 knew when I was struggling because he like I would see him after a stretch and he'd be like, Where were you? And I'd be like, Oh, you know, just studying. He'd be like, Oh yeah. How's your fridge? What's in your fridge? Have you been biking? What's going on? Like he would have a checklist. He'd be like, oh, I know you're uh, <laughs> you're not in a good place, eh? And that it was really helpful. Like that, sure. like little reality check here and there. Yeah, there's something uh, healthy about having that accountability. If you have like a roommate or someone you can live with, you know, you sometimes I think about that when I'm at work. Is what I'm doing something? that I would be confident in if there was someone else in the house right now. Like, do I feel like I'm being productive? You know what I mean? Whereas like in other jobs where I didn't really feel connected to the work, I'd see myself just like doing a YouTube video on any background. It's just like a waste of time. And then when five o'clock rolled around for my dinner, I'd switch what I was doing because I was almost ashamed of my lack of productivity. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that's what a lot of people can relate with though lately. Sure. Luckily, I now have a new job. It's a bit more inspiring, so I don't have that as much. But yeah, I, I totally understand that. But those are all things you can work towards. I just don't like the idea of you feeling like you're fully dependent on someone else's or some other thing out of your control. I know. And that really shouldn't be the case because... Technically, I should have the means to solve this problem. Well, I think you do. It might just be like a multi-step process. You know, like it might not be that you end up exactly where you want in the exact situation you want right away. You can still work to get closer to that fork in the road. You can start going down the other path. Would you like to talk about the movie for a while? Not at all. Not at all? I didn't rewatch it because uh, I didn't even have a copy of it and I didn't care to find it. That's basically your review of the film, eh? Yep. Uh, so you want to do a wheel breaker? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we watched The Butterfly Effect. I'm just going to take a quick nap while you talk about it. <laughs> quick nap. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you weren't really yet out of your VeggieTales phase in 2004, so you probably won't connect at all with what I'm about to say. True. I mean, like, I still like VeggieTales. Yeah. 
Okay. Was does does that imply that there wasn't any protein in veggie tails? You know what? I don't even think there were beans. Wow. No tofu? Definitely no tofu. No quinoa? I think there's protein in quinoa. There was a tomato, a <laughs> cucumber, some asparagus, some peas. What was there in the butterfly effect? A vegetable. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow. Okay, so everyone, uh, I bet you, like, people my age will have remembered the butterfly effect. I knew it, like, in the zeitgeist, but I never cared to watch it. It was actually on my watch list for years, I noticed. Yeah. Well, it's one of those, like, uh, uh, adolescent puzzle films that everyone my age, like, in 2004, I was what like 16 15 or 16 and so there was a major kick around those years in the early aughts for movies that had like big twists or had like labyrinthian plotting and like were uh kind of trippy or whatever so you had pretty much all of m night Shyamalan's back catalog which was everything up until lady in the water when people's collective faith in him just sort of was flushed down the toilet and so every year or every summer or whatever around those years, there was just an onslaught of these thriller movies where people could see dead people or travel through time or they had multiple personalities and they could inhabit each or I don't know if they, they were whatever it was. I'm thinking um, everything from frequency to the sixth sense to unbreakable blah 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 and it sort of put the butterfly effect under that umbrella the only problem is that it's really fucking stupid it's like a script written by an eighth grader somebody who watched memento and the sixth sense and thought that they could uh make something better and more engaging probably a little bit of sliding doors in there as well and the end result is like deeply befitting of ashton kutcher being the in the lead role you know, it's just, it's the it's the himbo version of a thriller. I wanted to watch it with you because I wasn't very conscious of movies. Like, I wasn't a cinephile in 2004. I started religiously reading, like, Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael, like, in 05, 06. And I didn't get my, like, prescribed uh, catalog of movies that my... 11th grade English teacher recommended until well after the butterfly effect came out. So I hadn't started my obsession with movies and I hadn't really ever seen a depiction of a disabled person in a movie up until that point. Like I was aware of Forrest Gump, but that's about it. And so I remember the butterfly effect being the first film in which there was a main character in a wheelchair. And I also remember the depiction being like straight up hurtful. Like it, it, it was, it was shocking to me at the time as a kid, I was like, I, I liked the movie up until the, the scene in which Ashton Kutcher is wheelchair bound. Right. Really? I did. Well, I was a kid, Tony. So oh, I just, okay. I thought you were talking about now. No, no. 
I, I was a kid and like I just loved puzzle films because it always felt like they sort of respected your intelligence and you're constantly just like w- watching them like wondering how the plot was going to be how plot expectations were going to be subverted and it was just like a really fun kind of narrative parlor trick uh so i really liked the movie and then ashley coaches in a wheelchair and i was like this is fucked fuck this shit fuck it and having remembered that i really desperately wanted to watch it with you and i did and actually the the result was exactly what i expected <laughs> what was the result well, you were totally, like, violently disinterested the entire time. Violently? Yeah, you were a aggra- Like, I could feel <laughs> the... I could feel the heat of your indifference from across the internet. Definitely indifferent. I thought... I was, I was like, thinking that this could potentially cause a riff in your faith in my, like, intelligence or movie fandom. Definitely. I really actually felt that. Really? No. I thought you were texting like our closest mutual friends and being like, Do you want to start a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if I like Jamie. Like, what did what, what he's making me watch the most awful movie in the world? So anyway. No, it was definitely relevant eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Eventually. I honestly tuned out for fifty percent of the movie and it didn't matter. Yeah, like this is a two hour film starring fucking Kelso. From that '70s show, and he is like, he, like uh, Ashton Kutcher is like if Mountain Dew was a person. Like he's <laughs> he's just the shittiest actor, I think. Do you ever think about when you're saying things like this, how it might affect the person hearing it? No, because I just know that he loves himself, and there's nothing I can do to possibly uh, embellish that or uh, blemish it. Sorry. I don't know. I always have a hard time being so mean, especially to a stranger. (laughs) An absolutely perfect stranger who's done nothing but create your favorite kind of media. It's it's Ashton Kutcher, for Christ's sake. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you know him. Yeah. I don't know why I always feel like I have to defend these random people, but... I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not saying I, I'm going to, I would like him if I met him. I don't know. I just don't know enough about it to say he's the worst. I'm obviously exaggerating for a fact. I, he's actually okay in this role. Like, it, he's not. Do you dislike Mountain Dew? No, I don't like Call of Duty. And there's an inextricable link between Mountain Dew and Call of Duty. Do you like Call of Duty? No. Do you like Mountain Dew? <laughs> You're so dumb. I I appreciate that joke. <laughs> Call of Doom. Call of Doom. <laughs> Are you just feeding me my own medicine? Will you hire me as your apprentice? <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Shall I elaborate on the film? I guess if you must. I, I guess I got to try to make this as quick as possible. Okay. Great. the 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 point of this movie is like uh. So, you know, the butterfly effect, the idea that, you know, a butterfly flapping its wings somewhere in the universe could uh, cause a natural disaster in the opposite side of the universe because of a series of events that that precipitates, blah, 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 blah. So in this film, Ashton Kutcher plays a young man who grows up in suburbia and a series of terrible, terrible things happen to him during his childhood. 
His his mother is a single mother. She's a nurse. Uh, her his father is uh, in a mental institution for a, a heretofore untold mental condition, and it seems like maybe they're suggesting that Ashton Kutcher has the same mental illness. This movie's portrayal of mental illness is spectacularly uh, unnuanced. Everyone in this movie who suffers from any little bit of uh, mental illness ends up literally bound in a straitjacket in a mental institution. There are multiple scenes of multiple characters uh, being in this kind of predicament. So it's really goofy. It's an eighth grader's impression of mental illness. Uh, Ashton Kutcher, uh, as a child, keeps like basically experiencing these traumatic events and blacking out during them. So there's a moment where one of his friend's fathers uh, tries to film him and his crew for a for a a, a porn video, and there's another uh, event where one of his friends puts a piece of dynamite in a mailbox and blows up a mother. Did and you just say butt dynamite? Huh? Did you say butt dynamite? Puts I said he puts a piece of dynamite inside of a mailbox. Oh, okay, that's too bad. I really thought you said butt dynamite. That so you're okay. Should I, I'm going to keep going. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so another event is that Ashton Kutcher and his friends literally see uh, a woman and her child in the neighborhood get blown up by an errant piece of dynamite that their shitty Bart Simpson friend puts inside of a mailbox. So that's traumatic event number two. Uh, traumatic event number three is that Ashton Kutcher witnesses his dog. Uh, being bound inside of a bag and lit on fire by the same Bart Simpson friend who blew up the 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 new mother and her child. So there's these just like ridiculous instances of childhood trauma that occur within the first 25 minutes of the movie, and it honestly makes it feel like a like a Marlon Wayans spoof on a a, a scary psychological thriller because it's just so ridiculous that these series of events have occurred to one guy and his group of friends. So eventually, in order to cope with all of this, Ashton Kutcher keeps these fucking diaries that chronicle all his child traumas. That's the way that his therapist suggests that he cope, uh, which is ridiculous. And then, um, so he goes off to university and suffer and, and studies psychology because he's mentally ill. So obviously he wants to master the, the mind and understand his father and while he's in university, he starts reviewing his journals and realizing that they are actually like 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 space-time conduits. And he can use the anecdotes in his journals to return to that, to those stories which he had chronicled in them, and then like fucking change the course of events and like return to the present moment after everything has been refactored. So, you know, he reads the story about the 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 the, the pedophile dad. And then he like goes back to that moment and he confronts the dad. And actually, I've, I have a clip of that if you want to play it. What time is it? It's time for you to do what I tell you to do. Wrong answer, fuckbag. This is the very moment of your reckoning. In the next 30 seconds, you're going to open up one of two doors. The first door will forever traumatize your own flesh and blood. What, what's happening how are you doing this? It'll change your daughter from a beautiful child into an empty shell. 
whose only concept of trust was betrayed by her own sick pedophile father. Ultimately, it'll lead to her suicide. Nice work, Daddy. Who are you? Let's just say you're being closely watched, George. Your other option is to treat Kaylee like, say, like a loving father treats his daughter. Sound okay to you, Papa? Listen close then, fuckbag. You screw this up again, I'll flat out castrate you. So that's like kind of the plot twist of the movie, like the moment where we realize that Ashton Kutcher actually has superpowers and that he can go back and change these moments. And then you kind of realize that the movie let all of these awful things happen to him in the first 40 minutes in so that he could go back and fix them. Uh, so then what that does is make it feel like there are really no stakes in the film because he's actually journaled about every shitty thing that's ever happened. So he has the power to undo it. And then it's just like a schlocky, crappy, awful film. But there's a moment in this movie that suddenly becomes relevant to disability. Because, Tony, do you remember when I mentioned the childhood traumatic incident where uh, his Bart Simpson friend puts a piece of dynamite in a mailbox. Remember that? Yeah, Bart dynamite. Um, so in one of his attempts to refactor his shitty childhood, Ashton Kutcher goes back and tries to remove the piece of dynamite before it blows up a newborn baby. <laughs> and <laughs> instead, the fuse like fucking goes off before he has a chance to fucking like uh diffuse the danger so to speak and so he then subsequently wakes up 25 years later or whatever uh, a paraplegic with no arms and and no legs no no extremities and then for like a vignette of 25 minutes the the movie engages in in what it thinks is an authentic portrait of a an uh, of the experience of a person with an acquired disability and it's just obviously the most horrific piece of disability media I think that I've ever fucking seen in my life. And I absolutely hated it. It was so on the nose. Oh, my God. It was terrible. Like every part of it was like, and look how bad your life will be in this way. Yeah. And look how bad your life will be in this other way. So when you really think about it, like all the horrible things that the movie has already depicted... It, it, this is obviously in the movie's mind the worst thing that could possibly happen to Ashton Kutcher. Like after seeing his dog burned alive, uh, seeing a, a ba- the death of a newborn, and like experiencing the uh, uh, pe- a pedophile's a- attempt to make a pornography, a porn film. Uh, this is the worst fucking fate that he could ever possibly endure is waking up a disabled guy in his dorm room and realizing that his girlfriend played by Amy smart up until that point has instead begun a relationship with his friend. I have a question though. Did he have four limbs gone? They never showed uh, what was happening below the knee. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he just had two arms missing. And was in a wheelchair as a result. I know. That's the thing that doesn't really make sense. Like the the hilarious thing is actually that um um so after he travels back in time to remove the dynamite, he then wakes up in bed, like in his dorm, and his girlfriend is in the adjacent bed of his roommate, 
and she's fucking some other guy who happens to be his friend and he's looking around like what the fuck is happening and then he sort of looks down at his torso and the camera pans out and there's this like huge reveal like it's like dun 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 and the score is just freaking the fuck out it's like strings from psycho like awful situation it turns out that ashton kutcher has no arms below the elbow and i'm pretty sure like his legs must be affected because why the fuck else would he be in a wheelchair but immediately after that he like he has the 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 special effect moment that the movie uh executes every time he goes back in time which is to uh, show a montage of all the changes that his refactor job actually did to his life. So it's a montage of his girlfriend actually pursuing his friend uh, during his childhood, for example. And there's like a mishmash of dialogue and a couple of the notes of dialogue are, can I come to and do you ever think that I'll find someone? which is to say that when he was a child, he felt extremely lonely and he could scarcely join his friends to do stuff. So he had no life growing up as a kid. And then, so he wakes up in the present moment and he's like, Amy Smart, what are you doing? What is happening? This is fucked up. And they like load him into his wheelchair and start to take him off to class. He has this line, which is pretty terrible. Hey, what's up guys? Hey man. I did what you said. We're pooling our student funds with the Hillel House and we're having an awareness dance. Oh, awesome. Yeah, maybe I can spin my chair around a techno remix of Hava Nagila till I puke. Maybe we should be getting to class now. You know, what's the point of science class now? It's, tomorrow I could wake up a dirt farmer in Bangladesh. <laughs> Let's go for a stroll. So again, like he's done a lot of time travel by this point in the movie and he remains resilient despite witnessing the death of his girlfriend at one point and like several other horrific things. And yet when he becomes disabled, he's immediately dejected. He immediately thinks like, what's the point of going to class? He's making like crude racist jokes for some shitty reason. And then he like sits down with his girlfriend, his former girlfriend and starts to like beg her to consider being with him. I mean, but that's not how things wound up. I'm with Lenny. Lenny's your friend, and, and that's where it ends. Whoa. Would it make a difference if I told you that no one could possibly ever love anyone as much as I love you? You know, I'm not saying that. I, I don't, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm just saying it. Like, if you were a girl, would that be something that you would want to hear? Hold on one second, Lenny's coming. I'll be right back out, okay? She's like, oh, I gotta go. I can't, I can't talk about this. And anyway, so yeah, he, he becomes suddenly like super sullen and pathetic and defeated <laughs> there's a funny line too where he um 
is trying to figure out how to get his journals back like with a disability. He doesn't seem to have figured out how to push his own chair. So he's like being uh, ushered around by his friends in a, uh, in a manual chair with these like really strange prosthetic arms, which I think even for 2004, I don't actually reflect the state of the tech at the time. I think those were literally just like mannequin prop arms that the production or the set designers were like, ah, oh, whatever, fuck it. Like he's just a shitty wheelie. So we'll just put these on his stumps or whatever. And so he, like the entire time he's in the chair, he's just sort of politi- pathetically sitting there on the verge of tears he makes a kind of disabled face, which isn't really reflective of anything to do with his physical limitations. It's mostly just like a mopey, uh, like a sad, like feel sorry for me kind of puppy dog look. And it's disgusting. But anyway, there's a clip where he sort of realizes that he couldn't have written his journal because he has no arms. On cancer. You started chain smoking when I blew myself up. Sorry, Mrs. T's been acting out of sorts lately. I think I can fix this. Fix? I just seen the journal entry about the blockbuster. <laughs> Shit, no arms. I never wrote it. You're acting different. First of all, why would he just why would the screenwriters just assume that a disabled person without arms just doesn't write anything down or doesn't record things? Oh, you wouldn't have a journal. How does he eat? Yeah. No arms. I'm starving. It's literally like the most ill-conceived portrait of disability ever. No arms. Never write. <laughs> no arms. Can't wear pants. <laughs> Can't wear pants. <laughs> I, I joked that this movie should be called Dude, Where's My Arms? <laughs> <laughs> See? I'm telling you. Get a job. <laughs> oh man, this movie sucked. It really fucking sucked. Even though the disability part of it was bad, first of all, it was took so long to get there. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, sorry about that. That's my fault. It, it was like not even worth it. The acting was bad. Yeah. The writing was bad. The premise was boring. And I don't even think it was because it was like an 04 film. Because that's not that long ago. No. It's just that it was like, if I wasn't watching it for this, I don't know if I would have made it 20 minutes. I was thinking within the first 10 minutes that it's this is going to be a real roller coaster. Yeah. Because like every every part of the film is ill-advised. There's a scene where um, because of one of the changes that he makes, his girlfriend just becomes a prostitute and he goes to visit her and like they have her wearing some proximity of Charlene's uh Charlene Theron's Charlize Theron's monster makeup from the movie Monster so you know they like uglify Amy Smart and like make her wear dirty prosthetics <laughs> and it's just this the strange implications by the film that like just because of the silly little decisions of Ashton Kutcher, he could turn his friends into uh, broken schizophrenics and or, you know, uh, drug-addled sex workers. Like, it's really insulting, no matter from what vantage you look at it. And, uh, I mean, you kind of have to treat it like a parody. 
it's not no like even because that's usually what i do when it's a bad movie mm-hmm. it's like oh well maybe this is so bad i can laugh at it it doesn't work there is one moment that made me laugh really hard which is when um he goes to visit a friend who witnessed the death of the baby early on in the film and the friend uh for mo- most of the timelines of the movie like can't cope with any of the trauma that has occurred so he just is various depictions of certain states of movie mental illness and there's one scene where he's literally like uh in a mental hospital strapped to a gurney and Ashton Kutcher like walks in to ask him for further details on some childhood memory and he's and the guy is like laying there comatose like frothing at the mouth with like a million belts strapped around him. And Ashton Kutcher, the first thing he says to him is, uh, Hey man, can I get you anything? (laughs) (laughs) It's so stupid. And like, (laughs) I don't know, man, like saying this movie is stupid is redundant and we probably should not have watched it, but I still think that watching these like kitschy, trashy, uh, like relics of pop culture from from 15 years ago are they offer some insight into how like average people uh, looked at uh, disability I don't think it was unnecessary for us to watch it like I do think we should have and I'm glad it's over with to be honest Yeah, but usually when you pitch a movie to me that I haven't seen I at least ask you, like, what's the angle? And I didn't. I just blindly was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then we started watching it, and I knew that it was uh, a popular movie in the sense that everyone's kind of heard of it or whatever. And so that was enough to get me in, and immediately I could tell it was trash, or at least I wasn't going to like it. But I really was not prepared for how much I didn't like it, and also how little I cared about finishing it. There were so many times where I was like, is this the first movie I'm not going to watch? Oh, yeah, like for the show? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I thought this was maybe the first movie that we were just going to stop watching. Yeah. Even the wheelie parts of it, like, obviously, they were terrible, and we should. It deserves a conversation about how problematic these depictions of disability are, but getting through everything up until that point almost was discouraging enough for me to not even want to have that conversation. For sure. Yeah. I would say like this movie's uh, uh, disability elements are more like exaggerated and ill-informed and just stupid than David Cross's stint in the scary movie films. And I know, like, I don't know if we if we're actually going to cover those. I'm not really sure if we should. Well, you've asked me to watch it with you a bunch of times. There's a couple of jokes in there that I do feel uh, are kind of like salient. I guess yeah. is the word. I just like I don't have. I I guess I just have to be in the right headspace with enough patience to get through a movie that I don't want to watch for the sake of this discussion. Because I don't think I have the same patience that you do with media unless i'm invested in the movie or if i can like enjoy hating it but this movie i just didn't have the bandwidth to stay focused enough to even see it as a parody or 
made fun of how bad it was. I was just annoyed that I was watching it. <laughs> and we're not annoyed at you, like never at you. Yeah, I get it. I, I completely understand. And yeah, because I kept joking, like I kept telling you how much time was left. And I was mad that you were yeah. doing that because it yeah. was always way longer than I wanted it to be. Oh my God, yeah. The very, first time you did it, you're like, well, we're only 45 minutes in. And I really thought you were going to say there's only 45 minutes left. And I was so mad. Yeah, it was a two hour long film. It felt like a fucking multi-part Netflix series that we binged across five days. And it was atrocious. So bad. But I mean, a great example of what not to do. So don't presume that because someone is disabled, they're going to have an unhappy life. Yes. Don't presume that if somebody's disabled, they are going to be able to be with the person they want to be with. Yes. Don't presume that because someone is disabled, they are going to be able to write. And don't assume that their default mood is misery. Yeah. And don't presume that if you're missing both your hands, you need to be in a wheelchair. Yeah, that's really weird. Also, again, it's what the the whole trope about putting um, disabled, newly disabled characters in like these boxy manual chairs from hospitals. I hate that. I've yeah. said it a million times, and I'll say it again. That's just because the movie didn't care enough about the disabled person to spend budget on a good wheelchair or good prosthetics. Oh, the prosthetics. Literally, I have a game called Handemonium. It's like a board game where you hold on to these plastic hands and yep. then you're supposed to like perform these f physical tasks holding on to these hands. And these would have been better prosthetics than the ones in this movie. Yeah, he could have like uh, MacGyvered a better grabbers from just like putting straws together. He could have just gone to Rona and got two four, two by fours and had better prosthetics. What's Rona? The how-to people. Oh, is that like a Home Home Depot? Yeah. And what is it? <laughs> Did not have those in Thunder Bay? I thought you were making an obscure COVID reference and I was like, what does COVID have to do <laughs> with amputees? They could have just gone to COVID-19. <laughs> right. I didn't even think of that. I wonder if you're going to have to rebrand. Going to the Rona. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. You don't hear very much about light beers anymore. True. Oh, yeah. I was about to say about the most pathetic thing to happen in this movie. Uh-huh. That we finished it. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. But remember the scene uh, when disabled Ashton Kutcher is having a temper tantrum and uh, Amy Smart like takes him aside to whack him on the nose? She like brings him over to like a park bench on campus and they sit down and they're about to, she's about to reject him for like from the clip that we played. But before that, she's like, oh, do you want a granola bar? And so she like brings out this like Nature Valley granola bar and displays the label to the camera for funding purposes. And then she like grabs a granola and tries to put it in his pathetic prosthetic straw hand from the Rona. And he just he just sort of makes a noise like oh <laughs> that the, the did you clip the noise? No, I didn't. Sorry. Damn. Yeah, I mean we could just make the noise. He he's like oh. oh. <laughs>
the granola just falls to the ground and she's just like, oh, I guess you can't eat. <laughs> and then she proceeds to tell him that she's fucking his best friend and that's just the way that it is. Yeah. Uh, wheelie. She's like, well, you know, I would be with you if you could hold the granola. But- <laughs> yeah. You clearly can't hold the granola. And that's a metaphor for... <laughs> uh, never mind. I have nowhere to take that joke. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, this movie sucks. I it honestly sucked. hated the movie so much that not only did I tune out while I was watching the movie, but I also tuned out while you were talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I really did feel like I was alone here for a while. You really were. And I'm, I was like Googling the meditation that my doctor sent me for my cat. I know <laughs> <laughs> you weren't. I really was. I was. <laughs> I was so checked out. <laughs> what a jerk. See, this is why we have to live together so I can prevent you from avoiding the movie. I would love to record these episodes in person. Really? That would be so fun. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, I would live with you for sure. I don't have the energy for a fucking wheel breaker. I'm too mad at Ashton Kutcher. Wheel breakers. Would you be able-bodied if you had to watch this movie every day for the rest of your life? <laughs> two full hours every day you can still watch other movies but you have to watch this one huh do i have the power to like read the script and go back to terrible scenes and change them retroactively no no and you have to like actually watch the movie okay can i recast that to ashton kutcher no, are you watching this movie oh can i give him better no. prosthetics <laughs> And he'll never hold that granola bag. No, but... Just, no matter how how able-bodied you are, Ashton Kutcher's hands will never be able to write or hold a nature value bar. It'd be so funny if he, like, if he persevered and bit into the granola bar and then there's just, like, a shot of Amy Smart, like, falling in love with him all over again. <laughs> he just, like, threw himself onto the floor eating a granola bar off the pavement. <laughs> That's my real breaker for you. <laughs> Even though you didn't want to do a real breaker. <laughs> I have to watch it every day and there's nothing I can do about it. Two hours a day. Do I have to? Can I watch it with I'll you? I'll let you watch it. with. I'm not watching it with you. <laughs> can I watch it with Jack? Good luck getting him to watch it. <laughs> I'll let you watch it at 1.5 times speed. So it's You'll only 90 me. minutes. You'll let me? Yeah. I'll make it a condition of your spell. Oh, God. I, I, okay, I'll do it. Really? Yeah, I'll do it. You hate being disabled that much? Well, I, no, because I think if I had to watch this movie every day for my, for the rest of my life. 90 minutes of your day. No, I think I would become like, I, I think I would find my center and become spiritually at peace. No, you wouldn't. You would yes. have to like bring people into this world with you. You'd be like, hey, so my <laughs> most I've watched Butterfly Effect 9,000 times. <laughs> 9,000 times. And I'm going to watch it again today oh. and tomorrow. And you can't <laughs> tell people why you do it. 
It just has to be a thing you do. You can't be <laughs> can't like, I do this so that I stay able-bodied. You have to actually just watch it and then be like, why are you doing just, I don't know, just watch a movie. <laughs> it's, just, it's a movie. It's a movie. Oh, God. There's so many other movies to watch. Yeah, but this one has action culture in it. <laughs> oh, God. Every day. At 1.5 speed, you didn't let me finish my point. If I could endure this suffering, then I think after a while, I would be... Centered? I would have a, thi- I would have a thicker skin. Really? I think it would make you crazy. <laughs> I think you'd eventually start to like the movie. <laughs> I would have to start to like it. Yeah. But you know, like, familiarity breeds fondness. Yeah, it can. But sometimes familiarity... Or contempt, like in a... Resentment. Like a toxic marriage or something yeah. yeah i suppose have you ever had that that uh phenomenon where you listen to an album of music and you're like eh, that was fine and then like the 10th time you're like uh i like this yeah but have you ever done where you love an album and then you play it over and over again and then you get bored of it yeah so you could end up presenting this movie even True. more than you already do and just think about the fact that like you have to bring people into this world and be like, this is the movie I watch every day. You want to watch it with me? <laughs> Any date you go on, you'd be like, you want to watch The Butterfly Effect again? <laughs> you have to date someone whose favorite movie is The Butterfly Effect. Yeah, and they would be just probably reprehensible in every way. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, you can still watch other movies. What would you cut out of your day? <laughs> Could I bike while I'm watching? No. That's cruel. I know. <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, it would be a huge hit. I'd have to block it off in my work calendar and everyone would know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in a negotiation phase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the salary's fine, but I just want to make sure you're going <laughs> to give me 90 minutes every day to watch the butterfly effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'd like become the wheelie that ashton kutcher is in the movie yeah. from the abuse of having to consume the movie but you're gonna do it <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll still do it <laughs> i think i can I, I, I think i can take it so what would you try to do today uh i don't know sleep fiber you don't do 90 minutes of fiber. <laughs> you eat your raisin bread for an hour and a half. <laughs> it's my favorite snack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're going to take the deal. Yep. This feels like a better note to end it on. Okay, bye, everyone. Sorry I did this to you. Yeah, thank you. I know you weren't apologizing to me, but thank you. Take care, everyone. <laughs>